Hi, and welcome to the Voice of 5G podcast. It's a podcast from Ericsson with me, Paul Cowling. And me, Janina Taunant. Hello, Janina. Hi again. It must be time for a podcast again. I think it is. This time, very, very interesting topic. And I, it was a delight to talk about this. Extraterrestrial networks. Extraterrestrial networks. Well, non-terrestrial networks, if you can be technical about it. Yes. Should we explain a little about, about this area, Paul? Non-terrestrial networks. It's also something that's been talked about quite a lot lately. I read an interesting article on the BBC just a few weeks ago about it. But we had this on our list of things that we wanted to talk about ever since, I think, September, October last year, October probably last year. We had a press release last summer, I think, in uh, July, because we're doing some work with a company called Talis and Qualcomm on doing uh, 5G for space. Yeah. Space, the final frontier. Mm not the final for 5G. We thought, that sounds really exciting. We have to get that on the podcast. And <laughs> it's only taken us six months. But it's quite, quite, quite close still. Yeah, but the advantage of taking six months, of course, is that it's, things move on a little bit. So we can get to some bang up to date information on that, exactly what's happening right now with standardization of 5G for non-terrestrial applications. Yes. And we get a direct report from Sven Helstian, Ericsson's business development director, he is sort of like an expert on what is going on in this area, I would say. I mean, because this is, this is in research still. He is just looking at like, what can be Ericsson's role in this? Because there is a lot of different players in this and it's not really Ericsson's main area, <laughs> to say the least, but satellite communication and 5G. In space. I mean, it would be, it's a kind of quite different ecosystem because you need to have somebody that owns a satellite that can put this into their satellite. And you need quite a few satellites as well, as we'll see. Yeah, Sven um, will explain this in detail. But first, Paul, one thing that we talk about in this interview section coming up is Doppler effects. Cue jingle. Doppler effect. Yes. I have to admit, I don't know who Doppler was, but the Doppler effect is kind of interesting. If you think about it, it's easiest maybe to think about it in terms of sound waves, because it works much the same with sound as it does with radio waves. Uh, sound waves travel at a, at a constant speed, 300 meters per second, and they have a kind of frequency. So it has a, a certain tone that's traveling at 300 meters per second. But if you take something that's moving, then the kind of the wave pushes out from it also still at 300 meters per second, but kind of compared to the vehicle that's producing it, and you when you're standing still, you actually see the waves arriving more frequently because they're coming at you a little bit faster. So that sounds like they've changed frequency so that they sound a higher pitch when they're coming towards you. And this is the classic thing with cars when you hear them. They, you hear the engine noise coming towards you, and then they drive past you and they go, and the, and the tone drops as they drive away because now the waves are kind of being pulled away by the car, so you're seeing them seeing them less often. 
So that's kind can of you, can you this, this, make this. a sound illustration of that, Paul? <laughs> I probably could. <laughs> Come on. But I'll leave it to the uh, listeners' imagination <laughs> to hear the uh, the high pitch noise of the car as it's coming towards you, and then the low pitch noise as it drives away. But you'll just have to remember that. Yeah. So you get this kind of frequency shift depending on the speed of the object that's creating the frequency. So obviously we've got a satellite that's moving around at high frequency and you're trying to match or you're trying to run a network which is using a particular frequency for a particular frequency band that your telephone knows about and the, and the system knows about. If the satellite is moving, everything seems to be shifted in speed. So it's a particular thing that you need to understand and take account of in trying to synchronize what's happening between the ground station and the satellite. And there's one other interesting application Doppler effect, and that's how you measure speed of celestial objects. Because if, if you look at the light that comes to us from stars and things, the light is generated by particular chemical or, or physical reactions, which produce very definite frequencies of, of light. And if you measure light that's coming from distant objects and you can see the frequency shift on the light, then you can actually measure how fast the object is moving relative to you by how far the light has shifted in frequency. Ooh, ooh. Ooh. So Doppler effect is really useful. Okay. As well as being problematic from time to time. Yes. In this area, I guess it is a little bit problematic. And we talk about how do you then test this, this effect when satellites are going past? <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. because... What you have on the ground is, of course, like, okay, the phone and it has to perhaps work with other equipment as well. If, yeah. if the signals are coming faster and faster, <laughs> then it's like, <laughs> or slower and slower. How do you make sense of that in a mobile world? Interesting. That's a very good question. And that's actually a question I asked to Sven in the interview. So, yes. so maybe I shall let him answer that question. Let's, let's hear also from Sven. Shall we go over to that interview now? Let's go hear about some non-terrestrial stuff. Some out-of-this-world networking. Extraterrestrial. And now we have in the online studio with us... Sven Hellsten, you are the Sales Business Development Director for a very interesting topic, which I tend to call extraterrestrial networks. <laughs> Sven, you call it non-terrestrial networks. Why? And what is it? Yes. In general, non-terrestrial networks, that's the ability to provide coverage from space. And of course, you could include also things that's been mentioned, high altitude platform systems, HAPS. But what we're focusing is mainly the satellite opportunity that is providing coverage and connectivity from satellites in the space. Mm -hmm. So is this just mobile coverage or is it other type of coverage as well, like this area? You could include uh, IoT uh, services and stuff like that. Of course, it's that part also. But initially, we are targeting what's called direct to smartphone, that opportunity. Mm -hmm. Direct so to smartphones. Taking so, directly to a satellite. Yeah. So this is satellite communications, right? For Like when we talk this very simply, we, we're like, we're thinking of, 
oh, people having a satellite phone, right? Yes, today you have something called, or what we call legacy mobile satellite services that could be Global Star, Iridium, Theraya, and that is a very dedicated technology that is connecting to their own satellite. What we are now targeting, and that is uh, having 5G available everywhere through satellite connectivity. And that is, of course, a, a tremendous opportunity because uh, we believe there's going to be hundreds of millions of 5G in uh, a couple of years, which means that the user base is going to be hundreds of millions of 5G non-terrestrial smartphones in uh, a couple of years, which means that the user base is going to be enormous compared to the hundreds of hundreds of thousands of satellite phones that exist today on the market. Okay, so... What you're saying now is that in a few years, there will not just be, you know, you go to a store and you buy a satellite phone, but that this, the non-terrestrial networks, meaning satellite communication, will be available for normal users in just a few years. Is that correct? Yes, that's what we're hoping for. So the reason for this is that 5G is now standardizing satellite connectivity. And and there are some unique technical challenges with satellites. And with satellites, we're mainly talking what's called low Earth orbit or LEO satellites that are typically around five, six hundred kilometers up in the sky. But they move extremely fast. They orbit the Earth in approximately 90 minutes, which means that you have, uh, compared to terrestrial networks that were used every day, you have a quite different time delay because of the latency. And then you have big Doppler shift, that is the change of frequency due to things moving. So that's what's being now standardized and described in in the 5G release 17 uh, specification. And by solving that, you know, you could could have a a complementary satellite connectivity with 5G in the future. Paul, can you explain a little bit about this uh, release 17 and release 18, just to recap? Just to recap, yeah, the 5G systems that we use are built according to standards. And the standards are delivered on different releases. And I can't remember, I'm losing track of the detail now, but I think, was was it release 15, which brought us 5G? And each release brings new capabilities in the network. We talked before, for instance, about low latency connectivity and being able to use 5G networks for advanced time-critical functions in, in manufacturing and that type of thing. That's also one of the new capabilities that's coming in with the development of the standards. So release 17, I think it's is about where we're at in terms of the leading edge of what's about to land in new network capabilities. And you were talking about that this would be a standard for this type of communication. So that has been already agreed and worked on. So we know that that is coming. Do we know approximately when this will be coming? So the standard is released now, the 17. So we are cooperating in the first step with uh, Thales, who is a, a big French satellite manufacturer, and Qualcomm, who is providing chipsets. So now we're doing testing of the specification in our, our labs, and then we will continue and make it more and more advanced, and also making sure it works according to expectations. So that will happen start in 2022 and then we will continue in 23 and then after that we have to 
move forward and see how you can make it a real user experience. But that, of course, includes uh, sending a lot of satellites. When you do testing on something, which is intended to be connected to a satellite that's moving at 1,000 kilometers a minute or whatever it is, how do you do that in the lab when it's supposed to be something that's 500 kilometers away? Yeah, it's, it's quite easy. You procure or buy a separate channel emulator that is emulating the space environment. So you're artificially introducing a time delay of 30, 40 milliseconds, something, and you're artificially creating the Doppler effect. Okay, so do we have a kind of uh, artificial space in the lab? Yes, mm. because it's cheaper and faster than launching satellites into orbit and test it for there. But at some time... You have to test it with a real satellite, is that the case? Of course, that's the plan. And that's where uh, paying customers are coming in because you can't really develop anything on risk when it comes to satellites and space yeah. technology. You need to have a very identified customer. Yeah. So when you talked about the people who are, or the companies that are already in the air, <laughs> so to say, or in space, you mentioned, the, uh, of course, the one that we've heard about, or the one I've heard about, Starlink. What's the difference between these setups and this uh, setup that you are testing? So basically, when you talk about satellite communication, you differentiate between fixed satellite services and mobile satellite services. So what we are engaging in with the direct-to-smartphone connectivity, that is mobile satellite services. What Starlink is doing together with others like OneWeb and, and Telesat, uh, they are doing fixed satellite services and they are using higher frequency bands, typically between 10 and 20 gigahertz, and connecting houses and more stationary locations. And because of the higher frequency bands, they also need the larger end-use devices. I mean, they could be a meter, like a parabolic antenna or, or a flat panel antenna device that is quite expensive, but with high gain and stuff like that. So it's two different use cases for a fixed satellite, including actually broadcasting also, you know, parabolic antennas you see on balconies connecting to geosatellites. So it's two different use cases, and we are targeting in the first phase the mobile satellite services. Yeah, and you mentioned spectrum there. What spectrum bands are we talking about for this? Yes, we are targeting to use or reuse satellite spectrum around two gigahertz in the space terminology. It's called the S-band. Then you also have something called the L-band that is around 1.5 gigahertz. And this is controlled by ITU that is giving out spectrum rights to different satellite operators in three different regions around the world. And then they have access to this spectrum more or less globally with some exemptions and stuff like that. Uh, spectrum bands that are quite similar to the ones we use in mobile already. Very close to it. But the problem with uh, trying to reuse terrestrial mobile spectrum is that, as we know, the low band spectrum around one and two gigahertz is extremely valuable and very loaded for our uh, operators today. So it would not be very likely that they would like to give away that to the satellite vendor, even though you could provide fantastic coverage. Yep. Yeah. Because that's what this is all about, right? It's I mean, if this would come to fruition, that there would be satellite communication in normal phones in the not-so-distant future, that means that there 
I mean, you can bring your, your normal smartphone into the woods and when you lose connectivity, you can, oh, let's go over to satellite mode or you will never lose connectivity because there will always be that sort of mode available in the back, right? Or how will that work for the normal user? Correct. And um, what we foresee is that there would be some kind of satellite roaming agreement between the, the satellite network operator providing this 5G service and terrestrial CSPs country by country, which means that when you go out in the forest or up in the mountains or, or in the Alps and you lose connectivity, then you can fall back on these complementary 5G services for voice, data, messaging and everything. Of course, a little bit more expensive, still cheaper than pricing we see today on the proprietary legacy mobile satellite services, but, but definitely useful. It's not going to be like, oh my God, I wish I brought my satellite phone now that I'm here. It's going to be exactly. like, yeah, wait, wait a minute, I can use my normal smartphone, right? And you're probably going to going to have some indicator or an SMS that you're you're roaming into this, so you don't download two hours on Netflix, not being aware that you're on a slightly higher tariff. But even things like being able to make emergency calls wherever you are is is an important enhancement. Yeah, of course, emergency calls, but also when you're out in the woods or the mountains and you want to share your your pictures, I mean that's something you can definitely upload here. Because you don't want to wait until you get home to tell everyone what you've been doing. Yeah. But is there a possibility that this could be something like, like a government wants to, might be also interested in, in setting up? Yes, absolutely. And there are now in Europe activities ongoing to look at what's called hard government services, light government services like emergency, fire department and security arrangements for all different countries. But that is so far technology neutral and would include both mobile satellite services and fixed satellite services. So there is a requirement specification coming out now from the EU in, in a couple of months. So we will definitely look into that as well. Cool. And I mean, we talked about that this might come into fruition in, in a couple of years, perhaps five to 10 years. Is that the, about that time that we're... Now, I think uh, devices, I mean, we're testing now, then we cannot know exactly what the future chipset generations will look like and when they will be released. But we foresee that the device cost will not be severely impacted on this because, I mean, a smartphone today will support uh, 30, 40 frequency bands and, and this is just another band that needs to support. So that could be in the order of maybe five, ten dollars in additional cost, nothing more. But then of course the big piece of this puzzle is to launch quite a large number of satellites, booking space in the rockets that are continuously taking satellite birds into orbit. And of course that takes time. So a couple of years for sure. Yeah. But still within reach. I mean it's absolutely yeah, it sounds like future very much for me, but yeah, when you explain it like this, it's like, yeah, but this could actually be be done. So amazing. Yeah. And yeah. you know, in the in the cellular industry, we've been talking about the famous word ubiquitous coverage. It's easy, easy to say, but hard to spell. Uh, <laughs> and finally, we can maybe offer, we can offer ubiquitous coverage for something that will complement, of course, the, the high capacity. 5G networks we see more and more around the world. Yeah. And, and if you 
like live in a remote area which doesn't have good terrestrial coverage, will you be able to use this for your everyday internet or is it likely to be too expensive still? I mean, it's definitely something you could use for daily usage as well, but normally it would be a little bit more expensive than so. So maybe you wouldn't reach your 15 gigabyte per month. Uh, that is probably not to be recommended un- unless you can make a special deal. I-, I guess it will depend a lot on the commercial offer that you get from your operator. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, uh, it's not unlikely that this is kind of a service in five, 10 years from now that is more or less included in, in all uh, prepaid subscriptions where you pay a, a couple of dollars extra or, or you get included. But the amount of data you will use in a non-terrestrial network is, of course, uh, magnitude lower than you do in your daily yeah usage where you have maybe 15 gigabytes a month in average and here maybe we're talking a a few hundred megabytes and maybe the opportunity to buy a a gigabyte if you're stuck in a cabin and you want to watch some netflix it's not going to be that you get ruined if you if you want to download that and you get the capacity yeah well you'd never get stuck without coverage somewhere like if you're on the outer hebrides paul Or on the trail in the the Pyrenees. To have that in your deal with your service provider is like, yeah, yeah, perhaps that's pretty good to to have just in case, right? As an emergency. It's mostly professional users that have a satellite subscription. Do we know anyone, Paul, that is paying for this? (laughs) Oh, I I have a Garmin InReach, which I use when, when I'm hiking on longer longer trips on my own and yeah. they used yeah. to have a, a particular subscription you're not using your phone calls you're just using it for like text messages and the ability to, to yeah. make emergency calls um, and that's fairly expensive for the time that you have it active i actually only seen one satellite phone once and that is when i was hill skiing and they brought it in the helicopter and asked how much do you pay and and they said we never use but we have to have it <laughs> Oh. <laughs> but, but it's one of those things that you class- classically associate with you know, like journalists who are traveling to war zones and things have a satellite phone so that they can send back their their report regardless of what the network yeah. conditions are. Maybe in a couple of years we can save them a, a device and a lot of chargers in their suitcase so they can travel lighter. Yeah, but we'll we'll all be able to be reporters from wherever we are. Well, the, the beauty with with the Leo constellation is that you get more or less global coverage. Of course, to to reach the very north and south parts of the Earth, you need what's called a polar orbit. Uh, polar orbits, and and maybe that is not coming day one, but even that is included in the plans from the satellite network operator. So then you will actually have ubiquitous coverage. Yeah, but you are going to use that classic excuse when someone says, why didn't you ring me and say, oh, I was away from the network, there was no coverage. <laughs> so it has yeah. social implications here. <laughs> oh, oh, no so- more out of oh. coverage. No, yeah, no, no cottage in the woods where you can stay away anymore unless you really want to. But Sven, you're going to show this not just in a few years, but at Mobile World Congress in just is it a month from now or so? A month from now. Yeah, the research team now is working on the WMBC demonstration and there we will visualize the satellite orbit and how the satellite is coming into the view of a smartphone. It makes the connection 
then the satellite moves away across the sky and then you're handing over to the next satellite that is coming. So I think it's a very good looking demo where they're showing the the latency, some speed examples. And I think they're working on, on some kind of voiceover yeah. application uh, connectivity. So that's going to be very interesting to get the reactions on. Yeah. So is this sort of like the first time that you're showing this for potential customers or... Or have you talked about this before? We have talked to customers, of course, describe it. But I mean, the CSPs are, are normal operators are not the customer of this because we will sell eventually the equipment to the satellite network operator that will, after that, make the interconnectivity to the CSPs. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Uh, like a roaming interface. And, and then probably work on some revenue sharing so for the CSPs, I think this is a great opportunity because they can offer satellite connectivity to their customers yeah. without having to make a, a very big investment themselves. And then so much better for the users. Absolutely. Yeah. I think it's a unique 5G feature here that we are starting to elaborate on. Uh, I'd say technically it's interesting. See, traditionally in a terrestrial network, mobile network, you do handovers between different base stations as you move your phone and it moves from the area of one base station into another. Here, it's the opposite. As you stand still, different base stations come over your head and built on satellites and you have to swap from one satellite to the next to keep connected. Exactly. So so here we have satellites moving, uh, I think it's seven or 8,000 kilometers an hour, which means that one satellite will be in, in your field of view for a couple of minutes and then hopefully the next satellite comes. Yep. So you're handing over between the satellites and you have what's called the fixed earth cells. So the, the cell stays fixed on ground and to be a little technical, the antenna beam weights are, are recalculated every two, three milliseconds to keep the, the antenna pattern on, on the ground. Yeah. And then you're handing over between satellites but staying in the same cell. Yeah. That's kind of cool. I don't know if you remember, but uh, in the 4G era, we did tests with like a 4G receiver on a supersonic jet flying around, testing the abilities of base stations to actually do what you describe here. How do you how do you keep track of something which is flying at very high speed or very high angulars? Yeah, and we've also done Doppler tests on on these uh, super fast trains and stuff like that. But this is taking the Doppler into a new dimension, so that's why it's standardized. Mm. And it's a very pretty smart arrangement where we feed the satellite. It's called a satellite ephemeris. That's the velocity and direction and altitude of the satellite that is being put into the 5G protocol in something called the system information block. And then the device, the smartphone, receives this every five millisecond or so. And then it can take its own positioning through GPS or whatever GNSS system it's using. And then, then the smartphone can actually calculate all these uh, necessary time delay compensations and a Doppler precompensation and, and make the signal look like it would in a, in a terrestrial network. So yeah. that's what 5G is doing and it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. And if people aren't familiar with the Doppler effect, that's as something comes towards you, it looks like the frequency is higher. And as it goes past and then goes away from it, it looks like the frequency is lower. And that's the thing you see when a car is coming yeah. towards you, the engine noise goes up in pitch. And as it goes past, it drops in pitch and yeah. drives away. You can, you can hear the police car if they're chasing you. They get closer and closer. Yeah. Doesn't happen to me very often, Stan. <laughs> <laughs> you must tell us about your experiences. <laughs> 
what's happening now in the space telecom, they, we refer to it sometimes as the new space as opposed to the old space that was only geosatellites. Now we reduce launch costs of rockets, of course, driven by SpaceX. I mean, the economy for the, the space telecom looks completely different and the cost of providing these constellations is, is continuously going down. So, I mean, there's been many attempts over the years to provide the good LEO mm. constellations, but now we're, we're really getting there. So. That's also why we are looking more intensely into this. Yeah. And do the standards include things like mechanisms for what happens at end of life of the satellite? Yes, that's uh, actually when the satellite operator applies for uh, orbits and the permit to launch uh, satellites, they need to describe how to take care of the satellites after their best uh, date has passed. And LEO satellites are actually taking down in in lower altitudes where they burn up after yep. a specific time yeah whereas uh, geo satellites are taken out in orbit and are resting in a in a sort of geo graveyard orbit for further out from the earth uh, forever mm. so the satellites need to keep some rocket fuel to be able to move its body to the the final position either burning up or further out yeah so somewhere out there in space, there's a kind of uh, a used parking lot full of dead satellites. Geo satellites, yeah, yeah. yes. Mm. Okay. Not this. They won't be staying in space. Okay. No, these will burn up after 10 years or so. And then you relaunch new technology. Yeah. 6G ones. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. No, 60 is very interesting because there, there you really starting to merge from day one the, the terrestrial and non-terrestrial technology and the standard. Really? So is that the release 18? Is that 60? No, no, that's later. That's, that's later. probably 20 or 21 or something. Okay. But it's part of the pre-study phase of 60 to, to really look at the terrestrial and non-terrestrial networks in, in harmony, whereas non-terrestrial here came into the release 17 specification a little bit after 5G was released. Well, but of course, that's the thing with 6G. You can learn, learn from your experiences with 5G. Absolutely. Great. And such an interesting topic and great to have you on the podcast, Sam. Good luck showing this to visitors at the Ericsson booth at Mobile Congress in Barcelona end of February and anyone that's listening who happened to be at our booth please have a look okay thank you very much thank you so Paul fascinating stuff there I'm getting the E.T. vibes right now. <laughs> the alienating vibes. Oh, the little yep. jaws <laughs> coming towards you. <laughs> I know, jaws in an, is another picture. Now I was thinking about the alien jaws. Jaws meet E.T. <laughs> yes, let's go with E.T. Instead. We have a few things that we can just very quickly explain. Can we repeat? Sven is talking about Leo. The Leo constellation, he says. That sounds like a Stars, but just so everyone remembers, yep. Leo uh, satellite. So Leo, he did explain, but uh, Leo is low Earth orbit. Yes. So that's satellites that are in orbit at a relatively low altitude that go whizzing around all the time. A bit like the first, you know, Yuri Gagarin, when he went up 
into space for the first time, 90 minutes to get all the way around the globe. Oh, yeah. Cool. Ah. Uh, so low relative- Earth orbit satellite. Yes. So that's a exactly. specific type they're of satellite. They're relatively cheap to pick up and you could, can put up quite a lot of them. Yeah. And we can yeah. also mention, Paul, that the, the Doppler effect, it is named after an Austrian physicist who described the phenomenon in mm-hmm. 1842. Now you okay. know about that. Now I know. Yes. And CSPs, that's what we call Ericsson's customers, the operators, the service providers, the cell phone. Communication service providers. Service, yeah. Whatever. The people who we are, you are paying your smartphone bills to or working for. We hope that we have some people out there listening to this podcast working for service providers. Yeah. Right. So that's the likes of... T-Mobile and Verizon, Deutsche Telekom, Deutsche Telekom, Telia, um, MTN, China Mobile, all, all of those yes. communication service providers. Okay. And Paul, you're revving up for Mobile Congress. MWC, we call that as well. Mo- just Mobile Congress. Indeed, we are. It's been several years since I was there, but I'm actually going to be there in person this year, see what's happening. It's kind of one of the biggest telecom shows in the world takes place every year in Barcelona with the with the certain exceptions for the pandemic and it's normally a busy year with lots of new technology being demonstrated we will actually be showing something around non-terrestrial networks which I'm really looking forward to seeing because I've not seen it yet yep and you will do podcasting from there as well we have that ambition. It's a busy week. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. But we're going to try and record some content so that we, we can use that for some podcasts that come afterwards, at least. I look forward to hearing that and talking to you about your experience there as well. Yeah. I'll be sending you a postcard, Janina. <laughs> good, good. Think about me, Paul. <laughs> and we have a couple of episodes to go before that. Thanks for listening. See you on the next episode. Yes. Bye. And bye. Remember to like, comment, subscribe. If you like this podcast, it really helps. We have a great team of people we're working with, but when it comes down to it, a lot of work is done by us too. And we weren't hired to do podcasting, Paul. We're not. I'm not getting paid for this. (laughs) (laughs) So please, if you want us to continue, give us some good reviews and recommend us to your colleagues. And if you want to contact us, email is best. And which email is it, Paul? 5G podcast at ericsson.com. Ah, you're so great. And, you know, out there, we love your suggestions and feedback. So please reach out to us. Ericsson is a Swedish multinational networking and telecommunications company started in 1876 and headquartered in Schiester, just outside Stockholm. We sell infrastructure, software and services in the information and communications technology for telecommunications service providers and enterprises, including, among others, 3G, 4G and 5G equipment and IP and optical transport systems.
We employ around 100,000 people and operate in more than 180 countries worldwide. Ericsson has over 57,000 granted patents and has been a major contributor to the development of the telecommunications industry and is one of the leaders in 5G.